Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's quitter is Maya Mitchell. She is an Australian actress who revealed to us that she has recently quit. No, you can't and- say that in the in the promo. Oh, no? Okay. Well, no. then what about the other thing? No? Leave that out too? People need to listen. No, she got very personal. She was, you know, she's a beautiful woman. And I made assumptions that she wouldn't be nearly as deep, as soulful, as warm and open and willing to engage in conversation as she was. And that is my bad. (laughs) When am I going to learn my lesson? Julie, for anyone listening, not watching, Julie just smacked her own arm, which was really cute. Yes, I would plus one that she's beautiful. And I also would say in this conversation... I'm, and with that, I don't even really want to like reopen the, the box of it or whatever. But I found interesting that I walked out of this conversation. We had an exchange early in the conversation about a kid that goes to, I think, your kid on the soccer team or something mm-hmm. with your kid. Mm-hmm. There was a racial mm-hmm. thing that happened. You'll hear a little bit of you'll hear a little bit of it in the show. And the next day, I think I texted you to ask if you wanted to talk How? about it. And your yeah. response was, you know, very it was fairly procedural. It was, hey, if you want to do something with that thing, talk talk it out with the with the producers and with the editors. And I never know because of how you text. I never know if that was you being like, I don't want to talk about this. Or if that was quite literally, because you're also really good at being like, I don't have time for this right now. In a way that I try to do in my own life now, you're like, I don't have time for this right now, but I think you can sort it out. Feel free to go sort it out. That's exactly was it a combination what it was. I of was, those? I was making breakfast, trying to get three kids out the door for school. And I got that text and I was like, shit, I don't have a lot of time, but I wanted to convey in a straightforward manner, yeah. whatever, if it's important to you, go ahead with my blessing, go ahead. Because I literally was texting with one hand, putting eggs on a plate with the other yeah. and getting the kids out the door. But I was like, no, you get to have your feelings about that and you get mm-hmm. to talk about what should stay in and out. And I... No, I know. I believe you. That's the... I mean, you're such a... You are such a singular person. I do actually believe that you, the moment happened and then it was... You truly do not want to relitigate these interviews after they're over. You don't want to read stuff about yourself. Like, you really no. actually are this person. And I think it's fascinating and admirable. I really am that person. Did we also mention that she was on... She was on The Fosters and the spinoff Good Trouble. She she reveals some things to us that she has... I think that she has never talked about publicly. Some very, some I very know, important things. I don't know, but I was really moved by her willingness to be as open as she is. And, and I love her for it. And with that, this week's quitter is Maya Mitchell.
I have to have a full disclosure moment. And Maya, I'm sure you you have, having been the lead on a show called Good Trouble as a white woman, have done all <laughs> a lot of the reading and everything. And I had a full white woman tears this weekend, Chad, full on crying at a soccer game because some kid called, dropped an N-bomb on one of the kids on my team. And I was like, do not Whoa. cry. No one needs your white woman tears. And I was like, glasses on, stay stoic. But I was losing my mind. And I was like, I'm not getting better, I don't think. I think I'm getting any better at the white woman's tears. At least I didn't parade them. No. I just thought you were a really pretty, funny girl that had spent years on television Keep and going. then walked what away. Else? What else? But walked away, which is where we're going to get to. And I was like, whoa, nobody does that. That was, That is huge. And that is I why I was it. so interested in you coming here. People like me, your, your basic Karens, did not know what, what, good, what the na- good trouble meant until mm-hmm. John Lewis passed, his documentary came out. I think for me, for me as well, because I grew up in Australia, you know, not that the education system, you know, um, teaches anything about, you know, black right. history, or, but, you know, it was an education for me as well, just in a historical sense, you know, because I didn't grow up, yeah. So, yeah, it's been a huge education, but also those storylines are really championed by Zuri Adele, who plays Malika. And she just does such a beautiful job. I mean, those storylines are so heavy. And especially, you know, for her to have to film them and, and, and it gets really, really triggering, you know, in moments that she's just such a wonderful, beautiful actress. And I was so lucky to get her, you know. Maya, how comfortable did you feel during that conversation until just this point, just now? Truthfully? Yes. Like a six out of ten. Yeah. Can you walk me through it a little bit, Maya, your your feelings? Of, I feel super uncomfortable. Yeah, I think it's discussing these things with another white person, knowing that there's a black person present and being the people to be talking on the subject, I think for me, was part of the discomfort. Word. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a good answer. You, I, you looked uncomfortable. Why did you feel uncomfortable? I mean, it was, I mean, that's triggering, man. We had a guest on one time who was a black man. Lamorne. Lamorne. Yeah, Lamorne. Lamorne. Yeah, I know Lamorne. Yeah. And I was asking him, what do you do when that kind of stuff comes up and you're around white people, basically? And he was basically like, I just get out of the way. He was just, I, just, I just put my hands up and move and let them do their thing. And I was trying to experiment with some of that tactic. Because I just didn't know even what to say. Like, I don't know. I didn't even know what to say about the kid. What happened, Julie? So someone at your kid's school, it's hard to just go in there and then go on and have a conversation right there after. I mean, otherwise, I'm like paralyzed. I don't even know how to go to the next to the next bit. Let's well, do it. In, in, in my experience, if I bring up something and Chad doesn't react, I need to pivot off of it. So that's what I did. I thought I would there would be a conversation, but there wasn't. So I just pivoted away. That's what I did. No, you did. I, I think you did a, a thoughtful and good thing. I got some news earlier today that it that it was felt connected to. And I was like, damn, I'm fucking paralyzed. And then I was like, wow, Maya's really good at having this conversation about good trouble. She must have done this. She's probably done she this a thousand times. She kind of done it times. a lot, right? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. But I mean, they're, they're good questions to ask. Yeah. But what, can I ask Jay, Chad, what happened this morning? Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm sorry, Maya. We're good. You know, we try to like go in a certain direction, but now, but then we just go anywhere. Go where we're going. This is more interesting than talking about me quitting shit. So. <laughs> no, oh, that is interesting it's to not. me. We're still going to do that. I I'm, mean, you had stones on you and I need to find out all about them. So Julie, Julie read my book. That's how we got to know each other. There's a story in that book about a guy who was, he's a, a black man who became the president of a white fraternity at his college. And he, Julie, do you remember this guy? He punched, he punched this dude in his fraternity who called him the N-word and broke yep. his jaw. I, I do. About an hour ago, that guy whose name I changed for the book, he texted uh, me and told me that that dude he punched just died. And he's from our From the age. punch? From the punch. From, yeah. as a, it's been a couple of years. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Not from, no, 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 not actually from the oh. punch, but that dude who was like 35 years old or whatever, like that guy just died. And so- my friend who was the puncher, you know, he's processing this or whatever. And so, man, when you just said that thing about the kid at your kid's school, I wasn't trying to be a dick. I was just, I was just taken out of here. Yeah. Sorry. So I was just not able to just, I couldn't stay on the train. Yeah. So is your friend conflicted right now? I don't know. I feel conflicted. Yeah. I've always believed that empathy or my empathy was a good thing. And in understanding that people don't need your empathy all the time as as part of the dominant culture, like they don't need you to, they don't need a rescue, they don't need a hero, they don't need a, they don't need a white woman's tears. It's still very hard not to experience the empathy and just shove it, I just have to shove it down. And in hearing, even hearing that story, I have a very emotional reaction to the story of this guy getting, you know, punching somebody and then feeling conflicted. But I don't mm. know what to do with my feelings right now. <laughs> I don't know either. I, yeah. I, the last thing I'll say on it, because Maya, like, I don't, I'm so sorry <laughs> that you have to be where you're at right now. No, I am where I'm at. I'm, I'm present. I'm her. Yeah. No, truly. Well, yeah. Listening. Yeah, I don't know what to do with it either, man. Because they because they tell you not to uh, let they tell you not to let white women uh, paralyze you with their tears, but they yeah. don't, they don't really tell you then what to do. Yeah, my mom says just hand them a box of tissues. But yeah, in in my other job, uh, which which Julie alluded to earlier, I work with um, two women who are both not black, and one of them's white, and. They have cried both multiple times throughout the process of this thing. And it's paralyzing. I don't know what to do. Why like, is it paralyzing? Can you tell me what that feels like? It feels how I just was, which was I just com I just went to outer space. I'm just completely detached now. I'm like, yeah. Because I've been coached not to coddle in that moment, but I don't actually know what to do. And so instead, I like... Um, Poor Maya. I like stopped Maya and was like, Maya, wait, can we talk no, about No, no, no. I'm so glad that you did because this needed to be unpacked or addressed on some, you know, level. Yeah. Or it's hard. In the conversation and should be present. So I'm glad you did. I'm really glad you did. Thank you. It's hard too because, and I'm not just doing this to do it, but like, it's hard because I care about Julie and I can kind of read her faces a little bit now. And I didn't want to do anything mean. And I hope that I haven't. No, I was I was serving myself up a little because you know that it's it's a journey for me. And I was just saying this weekend was fucking rough. And then in my in my personal ability to what? To what? To not react 
which also feels wrong when you see something that isn't right. Yeah. But I looked to the kid and I talked to the kid's parents who are white and they said mm. he, he does not want to, to make it a thing with the refs or whatever else it is. He does not want to do that because he's had a lifetime of being singled out and mm. attention drawn to him in ways that he does not wish it to be drawn to him and he does not want more attention right now. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I will take that lead. But my, honestly, my interior being was like, no, you know, all fired up and white woman's tearsy. That mm-hmm. was, and I felt, wow, this is, I'm not, I wish I was, I wish I was growing on this trajectory a little faster. That's all. Mm. Mm. Yeah. To me, I mean, like, yes, that totally derailed us. That was that all felt a little bit tense. Uh, Maya's hot. She's like uh, airing off herself. So am I. Sweating. <laughs> yeah, me too. And I have a flannel on. Come on, man. That's serious stuff. It should probably have that level of, you know, we should probably pull the car over just for a second for that. It and is. I felt it. I felt really that. I need. I needed that moment too. <laughs> it is serious, but it's also. I mean, Maya's got a dog in this fight as somebody who ended up with. The John Lewis, you know, I don't know, T-shirt, backpack, hat, whatever it is. Good trouble. <laughs> I got there at like sure. the TCAs and the <laughs> woo, hashtag good trouble. And you're you're promoting a show that's a that is connected to an idea that is a good thing. But at the same time, <laughs> it must have been highlighted. I would imagine that it would have felt like a lot come that summer. Yeah, there was the, the the white fragility has been real and you know you walk through it and that's what it is, you know. And I yeah. think for me, I usually refer back to people like Patrice or Zuri um or our black actors on the show, um, who really are leading those storylines. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I go with it. Julie, man, that's really evocative. I'm like, God, I have to like process the whole scene of that thing. Like, I'm just, I'm thinking about that kid who, you know, in that moment, like his reaction was, don't look at me. His reaction was like, I I mean, he probably didn't show any emotion. He probably was like, let's, can this thing just go, can this thing just be over? Yeah. I've always thought that leading with your heart is a good thing. And sometimes it's simply not. And that's a lot of unraveling that I have to do in my head. I can do it intellectually. But when it, when it comes to a moment, I, I disintegrate. I that's who you are a little bit, though. You're kind of like, you're on the, you, you live on your I know, fingertips. I, I, I fuck with that about you, to be honest. <laughs> you um, fuck? I do. You what? <laughs> I, I like that about you, Julie. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm old, Maya. Things have to be translated for me regularly. Can I ask Maya a completely unrelated question, if that's okay? Just to get us away from it. So as Julie said, you are very talented and just look like a star, I think is a way to say this. Uh-huh. Thank you. And I'll, yeah. take, I'll take that today. Yeah. <laughs> um. And you, I read something that you said here about Disney and probably other mechanisms wanting you to be a role model, wanting you to be somebody that people should learn from and look up to and sit in the seat of this is how to behave. Does that resonate? Yeah. Does that feel right? It does. How did that feel? How did that come to you? You know, I had 
a really jarring time. I'm, I moved from a small town that was very liberal, very kind of hippie, kind of you could be whoever you wanted to be. And then I came to LA at 18 and I just, I, I remember kind of thrashing around for a really long time trying to figure out how I could rectify. And this is kind of a theme throughout my kind of entire experience of LA really, but how to rectify what my spirit was that was born from this place that I'd been raised to then how can I be that person? How can I access my values? How can I, how can I be authentic in this space that feels like I have to be a certain way, I have to behave a certain way, I have to portray a certain set of values that might not necessarily be my own. There is a certain, I think, level of responsibility that you have when you taking on a job like that with younger people watching you. But I think it's less, I, I chose what, what made me overcome it. I chose to follow my authenticity of my values and sticking true to those as best I could because people are people and we all make mistakes and that's okay. For me, I internalized it by how can I make sure I'm showing up authentically and that took me years. And that's what I think is important as being a role model or in, in this industry. So not showing up to model a set of values that they placed on you, but to show up and model a set of values that are authentically yours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's, to me, that's what I can, that's how I can rectify needing to be a role model. <laughs> I mean, how old were you when you first started this, this kind of, and, and. I mean, in America, yeah. I was 18. I, I started acting as a kid when I was 11 in Australia, but it's a whole different ballgame there. Right. Um, yeah. They, they, you're sat down, you know, given like media training and, you know. Here in the States. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you know, and yeah, and you know what is expected of you. And I was quite happy to take that on too. Like I was making money, like I had come from a lot of money, you know, and I was in America and my career was taking off. And so it wasn't this huge sacrifice. But as the years went on, I learned how to kind of make make it my own and make it make sense to me in a way that felt authentic where it hadn't when I first came. Were, were there any moments or examples of an adult executive or yeah. somebody coming to you and saying, no, 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 you, you don't do that. Or if you do it, you don't do it in public. You don't do it on a camera. Yeah. Oh, gosh, this is like 10 years ago, but I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure there was. Oh, yeah. And then like my Instagram used to be mm. pretty whack. <laughs> mm. I would just post kind of unhinged truth thing, you know, whatever, whatever I was thinking and. There's been moments where, in the past at least, I'm, I'm now way more careful. Um, but yeah, definitely at the, the start of things like my social media, um, I had to, I was, I was kind of slapped on the wrist a few times. It, it, it literally, I, higher up said, you can't post that. Yeah. Was it language or content or both? Probably both. <laughs> it was probably alcohol because I was 20. But in Australia, you can drink it. Right, 18, 18. You know. so right, yeah. yeah, yeah, that sucked, being just legal to drink and then moving <laughs> What were the values that you did stand for? 
Like, what are my personal values? Yeah, like, what were the things that were making sense to you? Because you've described, or at least on, you know, Google searching is hippie town, atheist parents. This was like two two catchphrases that came up. Yeah. I don't know what my that My values means. are atheism. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think honest. I don't think enough people are honest in this town. That's something that I really missed when I moved here was people being forthright. I try to be forthright as much as possible, valuing friendship and people and family. That's authentic to my values. I mean, I don't know. It's such a tough question. (laughs) Well, but I think think a level of a level of caring about other people and what's happening in the world as opposed to this kind of tunnel vision thing that happens in LA and their image or the ladder climbing of it all. You know, there's so much of that. Not that LA isn't also a really amazing place. And sometimes that transactional kind of aspect to it is, is really amazing and beneficial. And you can work with friends of love, but I think there's sort of a bit of a no bullshit policy in Australia that I miss when I'm, when I'm here sometimes. In your career and I guess in your life now, does that no bullshit tone that you have, has that ever rubbed people the wrong way? It has. It has. I mean, there's like, there's a strategic delivery of the no bullshit. (laughs) But yeah, it has. I think people can be offended by me. I've had friends and had a tough time in friendships when I've given honest feedback or I've tried to raise you know, uh, issues I'm having with the hopes of being able to work through it and, you know, build the friendship and deepen the friendship. And I haven't haven't had any luck, (laughs) you know. I relate to this so much, what you're saying. Can you give me an example? Yeah, I had a friend a few years ago who I'm no longer friends with, who I've I've struggled with some disordered eating stuff in the past. It's kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> I can pour one out, pour one out for the eating disorder ladies. Okay, go on. Yeah. So I, I kind of said, you know, it triggers me when you say XYZ or, you know, I think she'd been saying I'm so sad or like whatever. And and that's totally fine. But I think I had said something like, you know, I, I, I get really triggered when this mm. comes up or when you speak about weight or you know even when you compliment how skinny I'm looking Mm. I'm finding that really challenging because of this you know thing that I I do deal with and that was not okay (laughs) really yeah and then the friendship sort of fizzled away after that yeah was there yelling was it or was it uh, a ghost ghost do you imagine me yelling I'm not a yeller I don't know yet yeah no it wasn't uh, aggressive with with love, but people people don't know how to take that stuff. Sometimes I don't know. Well, sometimes when you set a boundary, it uh, the other boundary person feels that- like it's it's somehow like a knife. It's it's somehow sharp instead of seeing it as a way to protect both both parties and say, oh mm-hmm. yeah, that that's that's fair. I I really relate to that, and I want to ask you about your eating disorder, of course. Because because it's one of my top 10, top 10 yeah. favorite topics. <laughs> yeah. Do you, have you ever talked about it publicly? Never. 
How did you know oh, about it, Julie? She just said know it. About- Oh, oh, okay. Okay, got it. I thought it was, yes. I never yeah, talked uh, about it until I started doing this podcast with Chad. No, no, you never said that. Um, okay. Yeah, no, no, I've never talked about it. And I've, I'm sure a lot of my friends would even know about it. But yeah, it's been, it's been since I was a teenager. And it's, it's triggered when I'm feeling out of control. And yeah, it's something that I'm always pretty aware of in, in life. You know, so as a, you know, can I ask if just going to, circling back to that thing about your friend and the and the limits and the uh, if are you open about that internal struggle with your friends in general or does it only come up when you get triggered? Is that no, the only time you would tell them? My close friends, okay, know about it. My right. my, my family, they know, but acquaintances would would know. You know, only people that are safe, you know, in the, in the safe circle. <laughs> and and now the world. <laughs> and now the world. Well, yeah. by the way, for what it's worth, I mean, you know, you can always, you can, you can call producer Rachel tomorrow uh, or producer Kate and say, I'm not ready for people to hear that. But yeah, no. I've I had, think it's okay to talk about, you know, it's, 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 it's an illness, you know, it's mental health. And yeah. I'm really lucky I've had the most supportive people around and I can see my therapist whenever I need to and you know I'm good right now which feels really good I think exercise this has been the biggest thing that's helped me so did, did you yeah. quitting good trouble was that part was your struggling internally with you know I will say mental health yeah. because that's what an eating disorder is it's a mental health issue mm-hmm. was that part of what was weighing on the we got it we got to get off this train uh, yeah, yeah. I was struggling with it a lot. I mean, the pandemic was tough for me. Mm. It was tough for everyone, obviously. I um, I was in a relationship that kind of had been falling apart and hadn't needed to end. And we were living together. Mm. And once the pandemic started, and uh, I was working and trying to match this relationship, but juggling all of that. And not being able to get home, like I just felt super trapped and like I had absolutely no control over anything in my life. And that's when, you know, it gets triggered and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of unhealthy thoughts and patterns and you start, start to kind of spiral. So I went home, you know, when I could, as soon as I could, I got on a plane, went to my mom, <laughs> you know, bought a property, was like, I'm going to sit in the middle of nowhere by myself in the bush and have a talking to with myself, you know, just feel all my feelings and sort of almost come down from this 10-year sort of whirlwind of, I mean, incredible experiences, but also, if I'm really honest, a lot of self-abandonment. And it all sort of culminated at the same time, you know, I got on the plane was in quarantine, you know, hotel quarantine, had left the show. Oh, that's right. You had to do that. two weeks all alone. I was the happiest I'd been in years. <laughs> wow. I was alone in this ho- crappy little hotel room next to the airport for two weeks. And I was, I ha- hadn't felt so safe in years. Like my nervous system had finally gone to like rested for the first time in, I'd want to say a couple of years. And that's when I knew, oh my God, there's something seriously wrong. Like the, the life that I've created for myself is not in alignment with my spirit 
and my hopes and dreams and my values and what I want for my future and for my life. And it's like affecting my health, you know? And so, yeah, I left the relationship. I left the job. I left America, sat on a farm for months, started to heal. And then my hometown was decimated by this horrible flood. Oh, Oh, no. Which was so much worse than anything else. (laughs) Was this after the fires? Did the flood come after all the fires? We had the the fires, yeah, where I'm from too. Most, like, it wasn't as bad as other parts of Australia, fire-wise. But no, this flood happened in March this year. And yeah, my my whole town was taken out, including my mom's home, my family, everyone I know there, which I I think for everyone that was, it was kind of a Hurricane Katrina type of event. And I think for for everyone in that town or who lives close to that town, it's probably the defining moment in in Mm. our lives. It It was really, it's really hard to see the community that you love and that raised you in in that state. So that (laughs) was, you know, the rug pulled again in a really full... It's been a full year. It's been a hard year. That's a lot. Yeah, you just just said a lot. I mean... Can I pull over on one term that you used that uh, I think you said there was... Self-abandonment? Yeah. I love it. I was going to say, is that a thing? Are people Do I've people say that? I was going to ask you I haven't that. either. I love this I, term. I haven't either. What, so what is self-abandonment? I mean, you just said so much. What does self-abandonment look like for you specifically, for you personally? For me personally, it means ignoring my nervous system when it's telling mm. me I'm around people or in mm. spaces that aren't in alignment with with kind of my spirit, my safety, that I'm, I'm in places that I'm not being seen properly, where I'm not being valued, where I'm not free to be my full self. Is that's, that, a, is that a slow creeping process or is it wholesale like, oh, when I moved to the U.S.? It was when I moved to the U.S. Ah. And I think I didn't realize until I left, I didn't and started unpacking where I'd gotten to, it wasn't until, yeah, I was, I was, I left and I was living in my, my place in Australia. And I, I realized that in my search for belonging and for community, I had abandoned the authentic version of myself it, just to try and keep those attachments, I suppose, and connections to spaces, people, community that aren't necessarily conducive to me being my, my full self. And I, I think I did that because I didn't realize at the time because when you're 18 and you're America and you're on television and it's all so exciting and you're so lucky and you kind of don't process because you're a kid and I was too young to move here. Like 10 out of 10 don't recommend moving to another country. 10 out of 10. Especially this one, yeah. No, especially this one, especially Los Angeles to be on television like crazy. But yeah, I think I think I, there was a lot of trauma that happened when I moved here and felt 
I felt really deeply lonely and homesick for many years. Mm. Um, and and was ended up in in the wrong friendships and the wrong relationships, and kind of put up with a lot of of riffraffs, bullshit, whatever, because I needed to feel some sort of community or belonging. Which is so normal. I mean, you were a teenager. Totally. You were a kid. Yeah. How, how, how kid. much regular, regular, like in school, school, were you involved in if you became a child star at 11? And a then, lot, actually. Okay. But you yeah, stopped I, at after high school. Yeah. So I, I was able to go to school still. And so I have the most incredible group of friends in Australia that I grew up with. And a lot of people there and this kind of sisterhood there that I just kind of, I think I took took for granted growing up there. And then searching for that, I think specifically that sisterhood um, was really tough, really tough. And I haven't, hadn't really found it until pretty recently, honestly. It's, it's tough, you know. When you moved and, back? No, when I, no, in the past few years, I, okay. I have, yeah. I have friends, guys. <laughs> I believe you. Okay. We believe you. I, I, and I'm sorry. Ninety percent of what I know about eating disorders I've learned while doing this show with Julie. So, and forgive me if I'm messing up the chronology, but but when did you start to recognize that you were having that experience? Actively recognizing it, fully acknowledging it, recognizing it a year ago. But if I'm honest about it. I, that's when it escalated to, right. you know, like where I really had to deal with it. Mm. But, I mean, on and off, probably about 10 years, 2014 maybe. Was and was there that like hidden? A, yeah. <laughs> was there a, mo- a moment where did someone do what you did with your friend? Was there someone in your life who said, uh, I see that something's happening with you? Or was that something you just faced on your own? No, I just faced it on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it, it didn't, I would always kind of keep myself in check and it never really, it never got so bad to where I, you know, really needed to deal with it. I mean, obviously any layer of it is you need to deal with it, but I always managed to kind of keep it together and pull myself out of it. It wasn't until I think just the exhaustion of the pandemic and, and the breakup I'd gone through, which was really horrible. And leaving the show and kind of all of the fear around that, which was huge. You kind of just don't have the energy, <laughs> you know? It's exhausting to have um, an eating disorder. It is. Yeah, it, it's it is. Really it, it takes up a lot of mental energy. It is a yeah. constant, you know, we all have an itty bitty shitty committee in our heads. But this is, I mean, this is just like a loud marching band of shit. At least mm. for me, that it's just like, mm, mm, and like, you could be having full conversations. You could be out in the world. You could be driving a car. I could be dealing with my kids. And there's, man, 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 man. And it's telling you what? It's telling you what, Maya? It's not, it's not a vanity thing for me. It's a control thing. It's, it's needing to be able to control something that's tangible. Yeah. And so for me, I have really strict, you know, parameters around when I do eat, how much I eat, like I really, but you have, I have to maintain that routine. It's a constant routine and it's a constant structure that you have to have. For you, that works, that structure works? 
Yeah, for me, I need structure for everything. Structure works for me. There was something else that you said, which was that the life you had created for yourself wasn't serving you anymore, basically. And I thought that was interesting language because it it does sort of assume some level of control, the life you created for yourself. But it you began acting like when you were 11, right? And you came over here as a child. Some people would say that was the life that was created for me. Some people would say that's just the life I got. But you feel like you created that life. Uh, that's such an interesting question. I think that I did. I mean, I created that life in my following my passion and I would do it again. You know, mm. I love my career and I feel so grateful for it. Um, and I'm really excited for to be heading into a different chapter of it. I think I mean more in terms of my personal life, mm. the life I'd created, my partner, the home I was living in. The groups I was circling in um, just weren't aligned with with what I what I wanted from my life. I wanted to be in Australia more. You know, I'd always I'd, I'd moved to America kind of per chance, and it was something that you know wasn't planned, and I never intended to do. And it sort of spiraled, and I kept taking opportunities when they would come, of course. But I just sort of realized that I'd linked and like in my state of reaction ended up in like these this relationship that I would have never been in if I was home and if I'd had my community and uh, it was a relationship that wasn't serving him either you know neither of us would have by the end of it needed it or wanted it and you know I, I think it, yeah it was just kind of like it all just became really clear when I was in that hotel room alone <laughs> so happy <laughs> Like, why am I happier here than in my like bougie house? <laughs> you know, the thing and the this and the that and the events and that. Like, I love this little like Best Western. You know, <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, you know, you need a life change when you're really in love with Honestly, your two week Best no Western window. lockdown. There yeah. was no window. I had no fresh air. I'm gonna try to tie some stuff together here, and I'm, it might be okay. a flyer, but but go with me and then tell me if I'm really wrong. All right. Okay. okay. First of all, have you read read Jeanette McCurdy's book? I'm glad my mom died. Oh no, but I but I've I've heard. highly recommend. We had her as a guest, and boy, she I, talks about overcoming an eating disorder, and she has this part of it that really I can't shake. That she had this mm. doctor who told her gave her a list of 600 values. I like dogs. I, um, you know, like things that were <laughs> Honesty, meaningful. Honesty, right. care. And she narrowed this down to five-ish core values. Mm-hmm. And that is the basis on which she began sort of, or, or, or she began to build a self and, and something that she was accountable to with these five core values. So when you talked about moving away from your community, your sort of values— the things that meant something to sort of you, and by that I mean the, your really internal being of you, that you lost your ballast. You didn't, you felt a little unmoored and therefore needed to control. And <clears throat> you felt out of control. And one of the things that helped you feel in control was an eating disorder. I'm going to go a step further. This is where I may be really wrong. So stick with oh, me I- and then tell me if I oh, just. Fucked this royally. (laughs) 
you, I said early on that you identified as an atheist. And I think it's really interesting because atheists don't have a book. Mm. They don't, they don't trust in a justice that's going to come from beyond at some point that right and wrong will be served up by a higher power or whatever. So mm. they, in order to function ethically as an atheist, you have to have your own set of values, what you're responsible mm -hmm. to, kind of like what Jeanette came to in her life. And that in not adhering to whatever those, maybe you never created your consciously thought of what those core values were, or you just, and, and therefore it was easy to lose touch with them. But can I ask you if, you do have the core values you've sort of reconnected with as, as somebody who doesn't subscribe to a religion with a structure, you have to come up with your own structure of ethics. It was a long one. What was the question? The question is, what, <laughs> do you have like a set of sort of like <laughs> ethics by which you currently are judging your life? What is your right and wrong? You said that, you know, love your friends, love people, but are there like, I, I'm obsessed with Jeanette McCurdy's five core values. And by the way, full disclosure, I don't fucking have them. Take care of your kids. I don't think I actively, I don't know if I actively have anything tangible that I can and say on my, my values. I just know that I wasn't myself for years. Not fully. So was I, I was right? I mean, the important thing is I was right. No, I don't. I don't <laughs> I, nobody does. Nobody does. And I love that all the while Julie's holding and swinging a very perfect number two pencil in her hand. I like a nice sharp pencil. I, I haven't do. seen it. Yes. Good for you. I, 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 that feels very Julie to me. But I, I think I actually, I think I understand Julie's question. And I think I. And you rephrase it to me. Oh. I, <laughs> I don't think it was as much. I, I guess I was saying, do you resonate with the idea that as an atheist, as a self-identified atheist from, and I'm using words that only, I've heard you use atheist and hippie. So I'm hearing, I think it means that you have to come up with your own set of I mean, I think ethics. that I've taken on my parents, you know. I think what, that. What are they, what are they like? I, they're honest. They're open. They're forthright. My mom is kind. She's generous. She's empathetic. You know, I also went to Catholic school for, for years. So I think, and I, 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 Definitely think that the Christian values have informed a lot of, you know, what I value. So, yeah, I, I, I think just trying to be honest and authentic and showing up and just being yourself. It's so hard, though, to be honest and authentically yourself when you've been knocked off your center. And it is. It is really hard. So how do you reconnect? I just spend a lot of time in nature. Mm. I spend a lot of time at home. I spend a lot of time in nature. For me, that's how I do it. I also do a lot of yoga. Mm -hmm. Yeah, lots of yoga, lots of exercise and therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I Here's my honesty, which is that I was not aware of you until we scheduled this interview, basically, which would make me one of the few. And I not feel like- Not one of her 8 million followers. I learned today that you have uh, 8 million followers on Instagram. You know, you're obvious, you know, you, you, you'll be on TV probably forever. Do you, can you feel all the people who 
are aware of you? Can you feel that you're, even if it's in the smallest little itty bitty bit, you're in probably 15 million or more people's brains somewhere? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm going to be on the don't love. I don't love that. Um, but can you feel it? You can feel it. I can feel it right in this moment because you've reminded me, but I don't mm. carry that with me. When I am reminded of it, it's an interesting thing. I was thinking about it earlier today. Like, I'm so grateful for that because obviously it keeps me working and there's a certain amount of that that you've got to be okay with and you've got to appreciate because, you know, that's a reflection of your success and, and your luck, you know. But I don't, I was thinking about like, how personal am I going to be on this podcast today because I really am quite a private person. I don't share a lot of intimate details about my life on my Instagram. It's kind of curated. Like I, I have, I keep my, my personal life and kind of my vulnerability very separate from that part of my life which I see as more of a job and I, I rarely let them overlap. And so this is actually a really big moment for me because I'm being really honest and really open about things that I wouldn't even, you know, haven't even told people that I'd see every day. So, you know, but that's growth too. And um, I'm, I feel like it's a safe space and um yeah, but it's it's not something that I'm I'm, I'm super super comfortable with. I'm I'm an introvert. I don't yeah I don't love the idea of people knowing who I am if I don't know who they are. Also, that's crazy. But yeah, you, but you seem really from the first minute. You seem really intentional. You were very you very deftly you know ninjaed around some of the early conversation. You said you created your life. So are you being intentional now about this new layer of honesty? Did you have this in mind coming to do this conversation or are you just doing what you feel comfortable doing? Uh, I knew that I would be a little more open. I, I would be open and honest on this podcast. I think just because of I, the, the theme of it, where I'm at in my life at the moment, I'm sort of just simplifying and stripping back a little bit. Um, hmm. And yeah, I wanted to sit and have a have a conversation about like a reflection of of me and where I'm at, and also just to celebrate how far I've come, you know, and and having found myself again and the place that I'm in now. Look, I'm really excited and proud of myself, and yeah. I'm, I feel I'm, lucky. I feel really lucky. I'm so. I blown. feel lucky, as you atheists would say. <laughs> as you atheists would say, wait. What would a non-atheist say? As opposed to like, oh, I feel so blessed. Oh, blessed. Just was lucky. It's a joke. I it's get, a joke. Sorry, I didn't. I know I'm slow. Bad one. I had to explain it. Can I back up for a second, Maya? I want to know, yeah. because being an actress and there were times, oh, I was going through a divorce and it was, you know, Ugh. it was really God. painful. And there was a moment when I thought, fine, I have to quit my job to save my marriage, mm -hmm. which obviously didn't happen. I didn't save the marriage and I didn't quit my job. But there's always those moments where you go, everything's out of balance. Could you tell us about the moment, the moment that led up to the that final 
conversation with whom? Your exec producer, your creator, your uh, showrunner, whoever it was, where you were like, email, uh, sit down, where you said, I'm not going to continue on the show. Yeah, I I spoke to Sierra, who is my kind of uh, opposite on the show. She's, you know, we've produced a show together and she's played my sister for years. So that was our adventure that we started together. And I wanted to feel out how she would feel about it and if she would be okay with me leaving. And she was like, you got to go. You got to go. You got to do it. You know, I can steal it. I know it's time for you. So she was really supportive. And then I brought it to Joanna Johnson, who's our showrunner. And she wasn't stoked. She spent (laughs) a few months (laughs) trying to kind of talk me out of it. Um, And I also, but I, but by that point, I had spent months trying to talk myself out of it too. So by the time, yeah. By the time I brought it to her, it was, it was, I knew that it needed to happen. Um, so you had been trying to talk yourself out of this quit before you yeah. went to Sierra and Susanna. Uh, yeah. And what made, what, when was the point though, there's like, there's like that night before there's that morning of when you're like, it's, it's happening. But do you remember that moment? I don't remember because it's a couple of years ago now. Um, I don't remember if there was an exact moment. It might have been in the pandemic or was it before that? I don't, I don't, I don't remember the exact moment. I'll, I just remember it had been building for a little while and I'd been trying to talk myself down from it or find a way around it or, you know, and... Uh, and then once the pandemic hit and I wasn't able to get home, like I remember I put my, my mom was visiting when the shutdown happened that Friday. I think it was the Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th, yep. Yeah. Um, my mom mm. was visiting and her flight was the next day. And I, I remember we were shut down at work. My mom was with me. Next day I put her on a plane and she had the mask on. I remember saying bye to her and it just felt so wrong to not be getting on the plane. It felt like something in me was just like, wanted to just run onto that plane and then I didn't see her for like two years you know so yeah two years two years almost two years yeah because then we were shut down and I was trying to get home and the network you know was like two weeks and six weeks you know we didn't know and then it was a matter of my visa you know because I want to be here I'm not a citizen Travel back and forth was complicated, and then the border shut down. You know all of these things, and then we started shooting, and then it was another whole season that we needed to film because we were only a week into into shooting our season three when what happened. So, it was, oh boy! I mean, listen, rather about pull me like after it, you know? No, but, but it's a big um, deal to step away from your number one, number two on the call sheet, you and Sierra were like co-stars. You were number one and you were co-producers. So that's a huge, you're looking, it's not just you. You could have, a sense, the show could have stopped right there. You could have ended no, it. They were always, I think because we, we, we'd created in such an amazing ensemble and the rest of our cast is so solid. And by the time I left, it was very clear that they would still be more than fine without me. Yeah, I left them in a really good place. And the rest of the season was great after I left. So, so you didn't um, feel like you were, one. that wasn't on you. Okay, good. That's good. At all. Not at all. Yeah. Nah. When you felt 
like you were doing the wrong thing when your mom left. Why did you deny the feeling, I guess? Like, why Why then didn't you just do the thing? I get on the plane? <laughs> Contractually. Yeah. So, okay, so um, money, right? Yeah, and also well, just... and you burn bridges if you walked out on a contract. That, I mean, but this is for the norm for the normies. Like, this is a question. I'm really asking this question. Like, I mean, I, I didn't think it, and I was not to do it. It's not. If you, you had just, done that, that could have that could have burned you forever. Yeah. I, I, uh, just to press that a little bit further, because you know we've seen people do shit like that. And the really successful, famous ones we celebrate, like Dave Chappelle. And the others, some of their lives probably get screwed up forever. I think, I don't even know if this is a question, almost just like framing it as um, you just don't do that. You just can't do that. I mean, that in and of itself to me is some level of programming. And you are like, feel like a very unprogrammed person. Like you feel very, I don't know, self-actualized. But there's, but she's okay. a, she's an actress, and she shows up to work I for think what I her am call at, time when it, says. Yeah, when it comes to work, I think you are programmed, and because I've been doing it since I was a child, you know, you are programmed to show up. Like if I'm one minute late, I'm highly anxious. Mm-hmm. I'm also a people pleaser, um, which I'm working on. But you're, yeah, you, you know that like you are the most blessed person, you know, you have such a, you know, in the scheme of things, such a blessed job. So what you need to do is you just need to show up and do what you're told and you get to reap the benefits of all of that. I think it's noteworthy where really powerful people acknowledge power, where they toe the line with a larger power. I think that's fascinating. And both of you were like, well, of course, like you don't fucking... You don't breach contract with the studio. You yeah, walk out. But you don't. You can't walk out on a contract. People do that. But they do. Who? Dave um, Chappelle didn't have a contract. Who? Athletes do it. Athletes hold out on their contracts. Yeah. Do they? A lot of times yeah. they do, but then that's you when people are fighting them. over them. You wouldn't hold out on your You're contract. You're fucking Julie Bowen. No, you know I, what I mean? Like, but I, I, this is what I'm saying. That you would be, you know. Okay, uh, I'm trying to think of a non-problematic NFL player. I wouldn't know them. Go NBA. <laughs> Whatever. A really, what you're saying, Julie, is a really, a really wanted NFL player will hold out on his contract because he knows he has a there's a market for yeah. him elsewhere, yeah. right? Right. You're fucking Julie Bowen. You know, like I but, mean, okay, if in year six, but you can't of slot family, me into to if we take the athlete thing. You can't take Maya, because it's easier to talk about somebody else. You can't just take Maya and say, oh my God, she's wonderfully talented and fantastic on this one show. And there are 22 other shows that would like to have mm-hmm. her. Because it doesn't work like that in the way it does in sports, where you're like, we have a place for you um, running back. We mm-hmm. have room <laughs> on our team for you. So we will Pull, we will pay you whatever it is to get you because you will add value to our team. Most shows are up and running. They have, you know, you don't you don't just swap players out and go, okay, mm-hmm. well, we'll just take you and put you over there and we'll take Maya Rudolph and put her here and then Adam Scott can go there. Like they can't just, you can't play mix yeah. and match with storylines quite the same. So there is a different set of, 
I, I'm flattered that you think I'm so powerful and wanted, but I assure you that it is not quite like that in acting and that you are grateful. I'm grateful as fuck when I have a, a job. I love it. And the thought though, when you get in there of walking out, when you're not asked to walk out or when the show is ending, it it is gut, I think it, that it's a gut I think punch. that is a I, 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 I'm being like a little facetious and I, and I know that only honestly from being around actors more over the last few years, but I do think that's a revelation to some people. I do think most people would say, of course, Maya can just like walk off one set no. and walk across the street to Universal. Most people, not people that work in Hollywood. I don't know. Y'all are, you guys are stars. But like, there's ways what, in which you, you can walk off. She did it the res responsible way. She thought about it. She talked to her, her co-star, who was also a producer on the project. She went to mm -hmm. the showrunners. There's a process, and that is the responsible right Yeah, you way give to do them it. a lot of time to build story around it. So That's that right. Not you don't leave them high dry. You don't just get on a plane one day and don't show up. That's, that's, that goes around like wildfire, and you're like unhirable. Nobody yeah, wants you. Yeah, just great. like if the if the running back just doesn't doesn't show for a few games, he's like I'm, you know, taking a break. Unless you're LeBron, and then you can have a mental health break. Is that the same sport? No, LeBron's no. basketball. <laughs> <laughs> and I think a running back is in football. I think. Yeah. Pretty sure. <laughs> Am I right about that? Yeah. I was just in a bar in Santa Monica watching the AFL. Finale, the Aussie, Aussie rugby uh -huh. finale. I lasted 10 minutes. I was like, get me out of here. <laughs> Why? So many drunk, oh, too just drunk. so many drunk Australians. And I was like, I, I don't need to deal with this in America. <laughs> yeah, I could see. <laughs> I can, yeah. What, yeah. Was it fun? Do you like, do you like rugby? I like rugby a little bit. I think it's a superior sport to American football. <laughs> I don't have a dog in that fight. Go take her. Go for it. I don't. I mean, I don't get. I don't know rugby like that. I just like I've seen it a little bit, but they know helmets, no pads. I really like American football. Uh, did, you, wait, wait, did you play football growing up? No, I played basketball. Oh, okay. Yeah, a little like a little. Everybody plays football like outside, but no, no, no. So now that you're back, basically in the U.S., is that correct to say? I mean, I know you have a place now in Australia and you can go back and forth. And also, I just wanted to circle back. Is your family okay? The house is washed away. Is everybody oh, well? Yeah. You know, it's been hard. Um, I'm really glad I, I bought the place that I did when I did. Um, we're building a little house for my mom on my property and she's at my place now. So Ugh. that's good, a little guest house situation. I'm not sure what's going to happen with the town. It's sort of still in the limbo phase of kind of hydrologists and uh, surveyors and assessors and, and whatnot um, figuring out what to do. Um, but yeah, it's been, it, that's been, it's hard when, it's a really interesting thing when the thing that you, conceptualize what you look to as being like the constant in your life, like this place that for me, it was always like, well, I've got this small, this town, I've got this community that represents everything that makes me feel like me and everything that's safe in the world is in this place, with these people and everything you knew growing up. And if you're lucky enough to have that, which I am so lucky to have that in that town and then to return and then be using that community 
using that kind of as like a healing source almost. To see that, to have that kind of pulled from under you is a really, I was just talking to my mom about it yesterday. It's a really strange feeling of like far out, like the only thing you can really rely on in this world, the only constant, the only thing that you really have is just being at home in yourself Mm. because anything can happen at any point. It's really kind of horrible lesson to have to learn, but in this really like kind of twisted way has made me a lot happier as a person because I can now be out here in LA and feel really at home. I feel really comfortable wherever I'm at because I'm, I'm not relying on any place or any external thing or any community or any, it's like you have to do the work and dig deep and you find home within yourself. But it is a really weird feeling when everything that you thought was like a one constant is when Mother Nature just tears through it. You just realize how powerless we are and, you know, your whole concept of what's possible in the world is just warped and like anything's possible, you know? How really did that, wild. did that impact your um, eating disorder? I mean, you were wildly out of control. People are losing their homes. The mother nature herself is showing you that you have no control. I mean, I, yeah. I would, I would I, full stop eating. Just no. <laughs> I'd be like, I can't eat this year. It's all I can do. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't great. <laughs> so yeah, you felt yeah, it. You got triggered good. by that. Yeah, big time, big time. And then, uh, and then I uh, pulled myself out of it, and I, I started exercising a lot, which is been, for me has been really helpful. I've never exercised in my life, which is horrible to admit, but never. Um, and then I, I, yeah, I kind of started training and doing Pilates and yoga, and I'm exercising every day, which for me, in terms of just the control thing, it. It's still obsessive and it's still way too much, but at least it feels like it's being channeled in the right way. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Are you, how is your health? It's good. Okay. It's good. You've had every, because yeah. I got to say, I have some long-term really shitty side effects from having an eating disorder young and, really? f- and for a long time. Yeah. Mm. Really blows. I want to like call my old self up and be like, you're fucking us all. You're fucking yeah. me. 30 years down the line, I'm fucked because of these choices you're making. I ran too much when I was growing yes. and I have bones yeah. like Swiss cheese. You know, there's stuff like that just sucks. And I'm, and I'm, I don't, I hate that fallout, but I also know that that younger self was doing the best she could. It was doing the best she could and be kind to her because she's wonderful. And she was trying to say, she was just trying to save her life. She was just trying to stay alive like her head was exploding and this is how she did it i know i just want you to be healthy for your old self yeah my uh (laughs) that's all (laughs) i Um, (laughs) am what did you make up the term self-abandonment no where did you get that i mean i feel like it's a term it's really not a thing it is now why you it Google is it? I, I love it, it so much. I don't know, but I, I but I have a follow up to it, which is when you feel self abandonment creeping in. What do you do? How do you deal hyper, with it? I'm hyper aware of it now. I think you work on the nervous system, Olivier theory. Mm. 
It's just, you know, the different nerves and the way they interact and learning about, because basically, all right, okay, here's some therapy. So basically, a nervous system is like the alarm system, right? So got these three different nerve systems and they speak to one another and they speak to you. And if you're like feeling anxious, it's one nervous system that's tapping in to say, you know, you're not safe. And then it'll tap down if you spend enough time in that anxiety space, you're down into depression. And it's really hard to believe that. So it's like about recognizing which nervous system is at play and then befriending it rather than shutting it down, which is what I was doing in survival mode for so long. Mm. It's about like listening to it, feeling it, befriending it. And then there's all sorts of kind of techniques you can use like breathing techniques, whatnot to kind of self-regulate your, your nervous system that you can kind of learn to do. So I'm very hyper-conscious of how I'm feeling and what my nervous system is doing, maybe a bit too conscious. <laughs> but I can generally like, I, I just refuse these days now to be in any space where I feel triggered or unsafe. And that's meant letting go of a lot of friendships. It's meant flirting with sobriety, which I've been doing, trying to like see what that feels like to not be drinking, not partying, like not going to bars, not going in spaces or being in places that have previously felt triggering or heightened or whatnot, just like simplifying and learning detachment and being okay with missing out on certain Mm. things because supposed to be in that space anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, that makes perfect sense. No, I relate. I strongly relate. I took, I, I stopped drinking for about three years, not too long, a couple years ago. Um, you've now, you've given me a language because I realized, because I, I realized I was using it as like an intentional form of self abandonment, basically just to, just to do something else that I didn't want to do most of the time. Do you think it was like escape, escapism for you? Yeah, I think it was to kind of quiet the voices in my head a little mm. bit. Yeah. But that's, I mean, I think, I don't think you're alone in that. I think that that that's the the beauty of of alcohol and, and some drugs. Have you, mm. in your hippie atheism, experimented at all with um, plant medicine to heal yourself? Nah, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Bam. Okay. I hate it. I, I hate it. I hate weed nah. so much. I'm so boring. I fall asleep. If it doesn't work for me, I won't do it. How about mushrooms? No. I have experimented a little bit with just microdosing. It's not me. Hmm. Yeah, I can't really, like, for me, I'm such an extremist. Like, I can't really, I do things to the nth degree. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's not like, my it doesn't really work. Like, I'm sure, like, I would just eat much and be like, I want to get so high. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I just, I think for me, the key is just nothing at all. Clear head sobriety. And I mean, I've slipped up a couple of times, but it's been a few months of, of that. And it's felt really good. I realized that I was using alcohol to escape also kind of my own brain and my mm. head, my fears and whatever. Mm-hmm. And that would feel really good. But then once I didn't have that, those anxieties anymore and, you know, I was good and I was feeling present, I've been in a really good place. I'm realizing that when I drink, it triggers me. It has that opposite effect and it triggers me back into the space that I would use the alcohol previously to escape from. 
Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I just it wasn't. It's just like not fun anymore because I'm like I'm. I feel present without it. Like I don't need it. So do good. you? Was that a big moment for you? Was that yeah? Was going? You know what? I'm putting this down. Or was it like yeah. just something that's happened? It was a. It was like a relief. Yeah, I think I had a vibe on the plane, and then was like, I'm gonna stop drinking slash try to slash probably slip up a couple times slash you know. But this is the intention. My last wine, great, and then that was it. Do you feel wedded to that? I mean, do you feel like that is that's a forever choice, or is that your choice for now? Choice for now. Okay. It makes sense for now. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure at some point I'll feel like drinking again. I just don't really enjoy it. It's right. just not fun. <laughs> There's, I have yeah. a therapist that I talk about far too much, but one of her, the, the things that she always gets on me about is black and white thinking about it's all or nothing. And mm. I didn't drink for a long time. And she was like, why do you have a problem with alcohol? And I was like, no, I just... That's what I do. There was this line in the sand. I had all these lines, like there was black and white. And she broke it down for me about what, that that's the way basically babies, toddlers, and little kids think. It's, I'm either being comforted and taken care of or I'm screaming mad. It's black and white. And that really the process of being a mature adult is accepting that we spend 70, 80, 90% of the time in the gray, in the middle. Yeah in that discomfort and it's, Mm -hmm. and that is, um, and to feel, and I was really admiring you saying, I'm just kind of sitting and being present with my feelings. I'm like, yeah, she's in the gray. That's the, that's the hard part is just kind of going, oh, here I am. And I don't love every minute of it, but I also, that's why I was wondering if you were like, and that's it forever or whether you were going to be a little bit more gray about it. Nah, I, I'm sure I'll, I'll want to drink again and I'll, you know, be in a different place. But I don't know. Right now, I just I just want to wake up early every day and, you know, do productive shit in the morning. Like, that's just the kind of, I'm like wanting to be a morning person. I'm busy with work. And uh, for me, I'll, yeah, right now, it's just not serving me. Oh, what are you working on right now? I am uh, doing a, an Amazon movie called Sitting in Bars with Cake with, uh, <laughs> with Yara Shahidi and <gasps> Bette Midler and a really what? awesome cast. I know I was on a Zoom with her yesterday. It was so with fun. With Yara and Bette? And Bette. Bette Midler on Zoom. That's a really fun title. <laughs> sitting, in, sitting in bars eating cake? Sitting, sitting in, bar- in bars with cake. I mean, yeah. it, feels like, uh, it feels like it could sum up 50% of this discussion today. <laughs> yeah. It's like alcohol and food, and yet you got to do it with Yara yeah. Shahidi and uh, Bette Midler. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Are you having fun? Are you approaching it from a different place now? We're just getting started. So we've had rehearsals today. Ted Reeb is yesterday, so we start shooting this week. So I'm so excited. I haven't been on set in a year. Like, I just took a bunch of time off and had this big sabbatical. And I'm so excited to be back on set. It's such a big part of who I am. It's like who I am at work, I'm sure you both can relate to, but um, no, I'm so excited. And then got a couple other things I'll be doing as well, kind of jumping between a few different sets. So it's like that scene of when it rains, it pours and I'm yeah. not going to sleep for months and that's all right. And just happy to be employed. <laughs> well, congratulations. congratulations. That's really exciting. 
Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And, and uh, thank you so much. I mean, Chad always sound, it says it better, but I, I t- I'm really honored that like you were, you came here and you told us so many really honest, truthful things that more than just your 8 million followers would, would want to hear kind of about recentering yourself. And we got yeah. to learn a new term too. Where, where did your, uh, your six out of 10 comfort level, where did we land? Did we get to an eight? You got to an eight. Okay. What about you? But I'm a 10. Thank you so much. And I really, I, I feel like the, I can't talk to my younger self because, you know, she, she did what she did. But um, I can just say to you, I, I love what you're doing. And I love that you're taking care of yourself. And I'm really inspired by all the quits that you talked about today. So thank you. Thank you guys so much. This was really wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 